Government shutdown is over, and boy, did this thing ever blow up in the face of the Republican Party. Maybe to a small extent, the Democrats, and it really backfired on government itself because people are realizing, hey, we don't really need this government thing as much as we thought we did. It's October 17th, 2013. He's been shunned by commercial radio. Unable to be bought and paid for by corporate America. And running on the fossil fuel of common sense. For those of us that choose to live dangerously in the radical middle, welcome to the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Now the world is getting older. There's a few things to be said. thinking about how these things affect me personally because I don't know, maybe I'm just a selfish bastard and I think, well, what's in it for me or how does it affect me? But I'm just glad the government shutdown is over because I was tired of hearing about it. I was tired of turning on any one of these, uh, you know, Fox News or CNN or anybody and seeing the, the little clock in the corner. They had like they had they, these clocks that they would put up on there from time to time showing how long the government shutdown has been going and how long until we reach D-Day, where we default on the debt. That was the other thing. You know, it was like they all, all the news channels prepared all this fancy production, all this fancy imaging and, you know, the big voiceover, the big voiceover guy telling you how, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, countdown to D-Day. Will the United States default on its debt? Will you be standing in a soup line? Find out as we count down to default on the debt day on CNN. Yeah, I was like, boy, that's that's reliable news there. Always looking for the for the almighty dollar. At least Ted Turner will have money because you're going to sit there and watch that or Rupert Murdoch because you're going to sit there and watch Fox News as they count down to the time when America defaults on its debt, which, by the way, was never going to happen. I don't know. And I'm not one of these conspiracy kook nut job guys, but this whole thing, it was never going to happen. They were going to come to some sort of 11th hour deal and the default on the debt. Who would really who would really go? All right, U.S., you got to pay up on this debt now. You've defaulted. All right. What are they going to do? Start coming in and taking states, taking property from us? They're going to start repossessing things? They're going to repossess the printers, the giant printing presses where we make all the money? Is that, was that really going to happen? If the United States really did default on the debt, the entire world would be in shambles. The, the world would be plunged into anarchy. Global depression would hit everywhere. Because whether you like it or not, and I know people hate it when I say this, but whether people like it or not, the U.S. is still, if not the central hub, it is one of the two or three major hubs of the world economy. 
And so if we defaulted on the debt, um, that would be, you know, obviously it would just, if people actually started to collect on it or tried to collect on it, I mean, it would plunge the world into complete economic disaster and eventually complete anarchy would just break out. I mean, what's going to happen? China going to march in here? Are they going to just tell us you got to pay that debt right now? I don't think so. All right. Anyway, welcome in. Yes, the zip code famous Michael Graff show. So yes, uh, from the very selfish standpoint, I'm just tired of hearing about the stories about it. Um, I know I know it's a serious thing for the government employees that were furloughed. Uh, the 800 something thousand, the, the fact that we owe billions already, we owe billions in back payment to government employees, uh, to several million people. So I understand that there's, there's big bucks, all right, that were at stake here. And I understand I'm making kind of light of it and everything, but I do understand that there was some seriousness to it. But let's be honest, unless you were going to a national park, uh, this really didn't affect you that much. Uh, or if you were a government employee. All right. Um, at least at this stage, if it had gone on, yes, it would would have been affecting a lot of people on a grander scale uh, very quickly. Um, and I'm going to get to all of this. I have lots of thoughts on this now that this government shutdown is over. Uh, but yes, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, being with me. Uh, Groff Show at gmail.com, the email address. Groff Show on Google Talk, Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. And of course, for everything else Michael Graff related, you can always go to the one and only michaelgraff.com. Once there, you can make donations to this program via PayPal. We really do appreciate your generous contributions to the show because it, uh, it allows us to continue doing these fine programs. And, um, you know, I, I understand that money's tight, but if you can donate to your favorite show, or even if this isn't your favorite show and you want to donate to it, that would be just neat. Um, this government shutdown, it, it has blown up in the face of the Republican Party. I, I think about a month ago when they were strategizing, when the Ted Cruz's of the world and some of these other guys were strategizing how they were going to handle the looming government shutdown, the fact that they couldn't come together with House Democrats and with the Senate on some type of a budget. They probably had this all strategized that, hey, look, we know this is this is how a lot of the House Republicans were thinking. They were saying, well, we know we can't repeal Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. We know we can't repeal that because that's just not going to happen. We'll never get that past the Senate. We'll never get it past the president. So we are the House of Representatives. We have the government's checkbook. Hey, why not just defund Obamacare? This was the great idea of the Republicans. You know, those people that say that the Republicans never come up with good ideas, well... In your face, they came up with an idea. We just won't fund it. There you go. So that was their brilliant strategy. They said, we're going to go after that. Now, understand that the Republicans, and I want to put this in context for you, uh, the Republicans about three, four weeks ago were in a position of strength going into negotiations with regard to the budget. They had the government shut down looming. They're in the majority in the House. The polls are turning against the president. The polls were turning against the Democrats. The polls were even turning against the Affordable Care Act. And then the government shutdown hits. And even then, even when the government shutdown hit, the, the weird thing, a couple of very weird things happened. Number one, uh, the Affordable Care Act was still getting rolled out. And the reason for that is because, well, 
Um, yeah, other legislation was already funding it. The wheels had been set into motion a long time ago for the rollout of the Affordable Care Act. So in spite of the fact that the Republicans decided that this was, they were going to go, they were putting their chips, they were going all in on this and saying, all right, we're, this is what we're bargaining on. We're going to defund this. And unless you let us uh, take some funding away and unless you let us make some other deep cuts, um, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to budge. The government will just stay shut down. That's fine. This is it. This is where we're at. Democrats were beside themselves and uh, now, look, uh, the rhetoric, both sides were just mired in filthy, disgusting rhetoric, as they always are. You had Democrats, you had some people on the left calling Republicans terrorists for this, which is just absurd. I mean, again, the rhetoric is just uh, is insane on both sides. But, you know, that was one weird thing that happened was, well, Obamacare, ironically, is getting rolled out anyway. The other thing was people were trying to sign up for it and these websites were down. So the Republicans, in spite of the fact that this they, they had the government shut down on their watch in the House, still it looked like the tide was still going against Obama and the Democrats because this big government health care system, the Affordable Care Act, the you could finally sign up for it. You could register for the Affordable Care Act finally. They finally get this thing rolled out. They're ready to go. And people go to register and they can't because the websites keep crashing. They weren't prepared for the traffic. Now, this is the part where I am just in disbelief. You're going to trust the government to take care of your health when they can't even, after three years of preparation, get a website together and get enough servers together to handle the incoming traffic. And yet these are the people that you're going to entrust your health care to. Really? I mean, this is, it's, it's really the most absurd thing ever. <laughs> so they had three years to prepare for this. Three years. So this is how, this is why Barack Obama looks so bad still to the American people, even to his own base. And I know they tried to spin it and say, well, there's just some glitches. Or they even said that the Republicans were responsible, which was just absurd. Again, more of the absurd rhetoric. All right. So. Take all that into consideration. All right, now let's fast forward. Now we go into the government shutdown. It's going on for two and a half weeks. And now let's look at the poll data today. Well, this is blown up in the face of the Republicans. Um, their poll numbers down. Barack Obama's approval rating, which was basically at its lowest point in his one plus term. Um, he was down around 40%, 39%, 41 you know, just sort of bobbling around there. And... You know, everything was was looking in favor of the Republicans. They were in the position of strength to negotiate. And now, now, not so much. The polls are all against them. The president's approval rating is going back up. People who had a negative view of the Affordable Care Act started to, well, now that's still not really changed a whole lot. But the fact is, despite the fact that they can't register for it and despite the fact that we have anywhere between 40 and 50 million people that are without health insurance. Three years they had to prepare for this, by the way. I just want to, I keep going back to this, but three years they had to prepare for 40 to 50 million people to sign up and they couldn't even handle the traffic of a million people. And most of those were people that were just curious about it and they still couldn't handle that traffic. Anyway, so you have this, this healthcare, 40 to 50 million people 
and uh, they they still can't register for it, and they should be just beating down the door and saying, why can't we register? What the hell is going on? The latest figure I saw is 36,000 people have signed up so far. Um, but anyway, um, so you had all this going on and, and still the view of this isn't going down any further because the Republicans have botched this so bad. They botched this government shutdown. They actually got people feeling sorry for the government. The Republicans actually managed to get people to feel sorry for the president, for the government. I mean, this is a president that has been mired in controversy after controversy from Benghazi to the uh, the IRS scandal to the situation with Eric Holder and the State Department and looking into reporters and all of that nonsense, all that wacky investigation and stuff. And I'll tell you what, the Republican Party in the last year has done more damage to itself than the Democrats or anyone else could have ever done. First, they ran a terrible candidate in Mitt Romney, a liberal guy who they tried to puppet into being this master, super conservative guy who couldn't even act the part properly, who couldn't even take down a president in Barack Obama who had the worst economic numbers of any president since Jimmy Carter and, and you know, History said there's no way that the incumbent president, Barack Obama, would win in that election. And not only did Barack Obama win, he won by, what, seven or eight points? I mean, he won by a, a convincing margin. It wasn't really that close. So that's the bottom line. I mean, it's it's ridiculous when you think about it. So they couldn't get a guy that could debate against the president, go after him on Benghazi, go after him on the economy. I mean, it was a nightmare. And then they continued. Now they have, they still have control of the House. They retained control of the House. They said, all right, we're going to go in there. We're going to draft a new budget. We're going to stop spending. They have this, this branch of their party called the Tea Party, who I think their original message was good. And that is the original message was stop spending. And I think that's a message we can all get behind, or at least many of us. Um, and then the, Tea Party is co-opted by some very strange individuals uh, who make some very strange comments. And I'm not, listen, I'm not here to beat down the Tea Party. I'm not one of those guys. I don't get on here and make all the, the you know, embarrassing innuendo and call them tea baggers and stuff. I leave that to the angry liberal, you know, Mike Malloy's and those kind of people. But I will say that they didn't do much to help the party. And when you go radical and just decide, all right, no matter what, Rather than talk about real spending cuts, rather than talk about something that, you know, they could really go after and be tangible about it. They've had a year since Obama's been elected or 11 months reelected and they still couldn't come to a budget resolution. They're the majority party and they still even amongst themselves couldn't come up with one, let alone come to one with, with the Democrats. And the only thing they could come up with in all of that time was to defund Obamacare. They couldn't go, all right, let's cut some spending here. Let's cut some spending to entitlement programs or let's cut some spending to God. I don't know, maybe the military, which, by the way, is 50% of our budget every year. They couldn't come up with that. They couldn't go, hey, let's go after the military budget. No, 
the only thing they, that was on their mind, these the, the current version of the Republicans, and not all of them, I won't say all, most, the majority of the Republicans, they were tunnel visioned on going after Obamacare. That was their big deal. We're going to get this. We're, we can't repeal it. We know that. We'll just defund it. That was their brilliant idea. <laughs> I mean, they, they even are making me feel bad for the progressives, the, the Democrats. I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly crying for them, but they're getting me to go, geez, what is going on on the right side of the aisle these days? And the people are, are thinking the same thing I am by, by great numbers. Even Republicans, some of the Republicans are embarrassed by the actions of Republicans in Congress. They can't believe it. You know, especially the Republicans in the House. People just can't believe those, those behaviors. And, and I can't either. Look, I'm all for spending cuts. We know the Democrats aren't about spending cuts. They've never been that way. That's something you know. But the Republicans supposedly... See, the Republicans are worse than the Democrats, in my view, because you know that the Democrats are all about tax and spend. You know that about them already, okay? They're all about spending, spending, spending. But that's something that you know. Republicans run on this idea of, oh, we're going to cut spending, and then they never do it. They never do it. Or they... They come up with some bizarre compromise where they cut something from some ridiculous part of the budget that makes, uh, that amounts to really nothing. That's what inevitably happens. And if you think, by the way, so we've reopened the government, and, um, but everything is only temporary because we're going to be back into this discussion back in, in January. And then I think the debt ceiling deal, we're going to be back talking about that like February 7th, I think is the deadline for that. If I've got all my uh, dates all in a row here. So, I mean, where are we at with this? This is just crazy. So that's part of this. That's how this is blown up in the face of the Republican Party. It's blown up in the face of the Democrats only because they tried to roll out this healthcare system they've had three years to prepare for. They couldn't do it. And, you know, I, I mean, that's... And it's a healthcare system that's watered down anyway from what they originally proposed. They couldn't get that pushed through, what they really wanted, or I guess what was envisioned originally. So they brought out some watered down version, and they couldn't even get that done right. And the government shutdown has backfired in the face of the government because, well, as you know, during the shutdown, all of our national parks, national monuments, federal land of any sort, national forests, all closed because they didn't have anybody to police those areas, the rangers and all the, uh, all the parking meters and everything like that. They couldn't collect any money. They couldn't do anything because all those workers are, um, well, they didn't have the money to pay them, so it was shut down. But in the state of Arizona, what we said was, well, we can't afford to have the Grand Canyon closed. So we used state funds to reopen it because it's not just about the Grand Canyon itself. Yes, there's money that's collected from the people that go through there, but it's businesses that surround it. It's the communities that surround it. The, the hotels, the restaurants, the souvenir stands, any and all businesses that surround that and, of, and other national parks as well. So we used the state funds to reopen it. So we said, well, we don't really need the federal government, I guess. And, you know, other national parks across the country were reopened, not just with state funds, but with private funds. 
Uh-oh, look out. Here comes private enterprise to the rescue. So once again, it just illustrates my point that I've made for years on this program that private enterprise and local government is far more efficient than the federal government. I mean, that's just evidence right there. It's just more evidence. The shutdown has proven that and it's backfired in the face of the government. Gee, I guess we don't really need the federal government as much as we thought we did. At least when it comes to things like administering our national parks. And, uh, and you know, that's big money, by the way, that we could have been losing out on had those parks remained closed. You have to understand, it's not just about the money. And it, like I said, it's about the businesses. It's a, what is it? A, I, I read somewhere one or two million bucks a day that comes into this state, or maybe it's even more because of the Grand Canyon. And that's not just the Grand Canyon either. I mean, those people go that come here presumably don't just look at the Grand Canyon. Sometimes they stay in Flagstaff or Williams or Sedona or Phoenix or Tucson. So they go to all sorts of places across the state. So, I mean, that it, it's just tourism in general that is greatly hurt by something like that. That's why the state and private businesses kicked in to reopen a lot of national parks and monuments and whatnot across the country. So, once again, private enterprise, local government does it better. You know, I mean, I always give the example of the space shuttle. The... Space shuttle, it cost, when, when we were still in the space program, when we were still launching shuttles, it cost billions to launch a space shuttle by the federal government. Meanwhile, a private enterprise would come along and do it, and it would cost them tens of millions of dollars, 30, 40, 50 million bucks, and that's it. And whenever I would bring that up, people would, of course, inevitably say, well, you have to understand that because the federal government uh, worked on the technology, uh, that uh, it made it possible for private enterprise to come along and do it cheaper. Okay, and I would agree with that, except for the fact that the cost of launching a space shuttle every time only went up. It kept going up. So, I mean, if I were to use that theory, then eventually the price for the government to do it would be similar to the cost of private enterprise doing it. But no, it was always, what, a hundred times more for, for a private uh, enterprise or at least, uh, yeah, 80, a hundred times more for private enterprise, uh, for government to launch a shuttle versus private enterprise. So ineffective there. And that's, that's your federal government. So this thing has backfired on a lot of people. And, you know, Barack Obama gave a big speech this morning saying, oh, well, you know, there were no winners in this. And he called the Republican Party. Now, he didn't say the Republicans. He said, there's one side of the aisle that engaged in brinksmanship in all of this. Again, even the president is talking about how the rhetoric is unnecessary. And then he uses the rhetoric in his own speech to talk about what went on with the government shutdown. And he said, this was unnecessary and it could have been avoided. And that part, I think we can agree on. But the, the problem is we're never going to get a budget resolution that everybody or even anybody, I think, is going to be happy with because we're always going to have this ridiculous amount of spending. And until we start looking at the budget seriously and not just, you know, we're t people are talking about cutting entitlement programs and that's fine. I mean, you can discuss that, but the 6,000-pound elephant in the room is the military. And I know whenever I bring this up, people go, you can't cut the military, you communist, you, you bastard. Y yes, you can. We spend 
almost 50% of our budget. I think last year it was 48% of our budget goes to the military. And that's a lot. All right. That is almost half of the budget, folks, that goes to the military. And until you take a serious look at that and where that spending is actually going and the fact that we fight ridiculous wars against some made up boogeyman in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan, and I'm not dismissing everything in Afghanistan. I understand that there was some merit to our being there at some point. You know, I'm not entirely sure what it was, but I could almost understand maybe a small piece of at least having some special ops teams go there. But I mean, to, to have a full scale invasion there, too, was ridiculous. And to even discuss Syria and to have any forces in Libya and to be involved in Egypt and all the other places that we are around the world, not just with our active military, but, um, you know, we have... 36,000 troops that we have stationed in Korea, for example. We still have tens of thousands of people that we put in Germany. I mean, let's understand that we have bases. We have military bases in what? 170 countries across the world? I mean, this is something that we need to start looking at seriously and saying, maybe it's about time we stop, you know, stop the imperialism and we cut back a little bit and we bring some people home and we stop spending nearly half of our money every year on military. Let's be honest. If a military conflict arose, we'd launch a couple of cruise missiles into it. And if that didn't stop it, maybe we'd launch a nuclear bomb into it. We'd turn a couple of keys and press a couple of buttons and have a couple of guys guiding a missile to its location. Hell, we could just send in these drones and do it. And that's pretty much the point that we've reached. So I, I think to have millions of ground forces and all these active military personnel and all these subs and all of these aircraft carriers and just everything across the world like we do. I mean, you have to come to the realization that the next time that there's a war, and I mean a real serious war, not just some conflict, not, not some civil war in Syria, but I mean a, a real war of consequence Let's be honest, ground forces aren't going to make much difference. It's, you know, going to be an uh, intercontinental ballistic missile battle. That's really what it's going to be, a giant game of missile command. I'm not dismissing the military. I'm certainly not putting it down, but I'm also telling you that we're fighting ridiculous wars. And I think the reason we fight ridiculous wars is almost, I hate to say it, but sometimes it just almost seems like we need to justify having this bloated budget for the military. So we better send them in. We better make up some boogeyman uh, in Iraq. I mean, someone needs to tell me why we're still in Iraq. We're still there, by the way, just so you know, I know the media doesn't report about it anymore because Barack Obama is in office and we don't want to make him look bad in the media. But um, uh, that's still going on, just so you know. And we still have Tens of thousands in Afghanistan. And we still deploy people there. We still send people on tours of duty there. And we still send people to other places too. We have people stationed all over the world. For what reason? For what purpose? I'm not entirely sure. But we're trying to make a case now to go with uh, Iran. That's something that's been lost in all this as well. But there's still some saber rattling about Iran. And I know the Syria thing has calmed down, even though, by the way, uh, they're in a fight with uh, Turkey. They got in a little firefight the other day. Maybe we'll get into that later. Maybe not. But I just thought I'd bring that up. 
I know that there's going to be a point where we go back to talking about our next military strategy. But why? That's where you need to start looking. And yes, there are abuses of entitlement programs. Yes, there are. There's just gross expenditures in every department, whether it's the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of whatever. There's there's cuts that could probably be made in every department or at least, if not cuts, better uses of the money to improve infrastructure. But what do I know? I know that if you just gave me a pen and paper and said, here's the budget, here's what we need to spend, you know, here's all the departments, balance it. I bet I could balance it. Pretty sure. You wouldn't like it. You probably would really hate the way I balance the budget, but I can guarantee I could come up with a balanced budget. Hell, I'd settle for one where we're only, you know, a, a few million in a deficit as opposed to trillions every year. All right. Well, that's the government shutdown. That's the latest news. The economy for now is okay. The Dow really hasn't taken too much of a hit. We're good on that. The rest of the world's economy isn't looking so great, as we talked about on the last show. And uh, that still continues. But at least for now, we've staved off a problem here until we have to talk about it again in a couple of months. We'll be right back to this. And I'm, by the way, I'm sure we're going to be talking about it just constantly because... Well, because uh, it's just going to be more rhetoric and more BS on both sides. And again, this just proves both sides are equally at fault and both sides really don't do much to help one another or the country as a, as a whole. And I was listening to the president's speech this morning and he said, you know, uh, both sides are so far apart on, so, on a lot of things and I understand that. And it's like, no, you're, actually you're not, Mr. President. Both sides are very similar in a lot of ways. You both start wars. You both spend a, an insane amount of money on crap. Waste a lot of money. You're both, you know, uh, you both have special interest groups that you're involved in. And when it comes down to it, I mean, you claim all these differences, but there's not a whole lot. Yeah, on paper, there's a lot of differences, but really in practice, not that much. And again, I'm not saying all Republicans and all Democrats, but I'm just sort of broad brushing, a majority. That's where we're at. All right, I got to take a break. Now, we got a lot of other stuff to get into. This isn't going to be uh, all government shutdown talk. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty much done with that half hour on this. Oh, Jesus. I can't believe... You know, sometimes I'll look down and I'll say, oh my God, have I been talking about this for a half hour? And I just cringe and I go, I, I can't believe anybody would want to listen to this for a half hour. If you got through this first segment where, where I just talked about this crap, and I mean, it's important and I got it off my chest, but I mean, I hope after you hear this, at least I hope the next time you go and vote, that you don't put this same garbage in office. And I mean on both sides. I really hope, and I, I, I've said this for so many years, and God knows I'm trying, man. I'm, I'm here lobbying, but I really hope you don't put this same garbage back in power. Please. It, it's a, we need to do something about it. And I know the Tea Party was different, and I, I get that, but I mean, I mean change. Not Obama change, not Tea Party change, but like real change different people, different ideas, something new and fresh to the table. Even one candidate would be a good start. 
One. I'd settle for that. All right. Okay. When we continue, I'm going to take my blood pressure medication. And then um, we'll go into... um, We'll go into something else. I don't know. I got a lot of other stuff, including a restaurant that you probably will never want to eat at, even though it's a, look, the, the, the restaurant business, I think, is out of ideas. This just proves it. We'll talk about that. Um, I have got some cringeworthy audio from the media that you just have to check out. Maybe we'll have another worse song or maybe I'll look at the pop chart. I don't know. We're going to do something exciting in the third segment with uh, all that stuff. And, of course, a whole lot more still to get into. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. The Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com Show on GTalk, Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff on Twitter, and for everything else that could possibly be Michael Groff related, well, you're already listening to this show at the one and only MichaelGroff.com. I mean, unless someone's forcing you to listen with a gun held to your head. But uh, otherwise, you're listening there. But you can also donate to this program. All can be done at MichaelGroff.com. Just surpassed the 13-year mark of my doing this show. 13 years ago, I started doing this show on a syndicated basis, if you will, on a little uh, internet uh, network that I uh, began with some other guys. And um, 13 years of doing this show off and on, mostly on, occasionally off uh, during that time. And uh, hard to believe I'm still sitting behind the microphone. The microphone's gotten a little bit better. Some of the equipment's gotten a little bit better. Some of it's just older. But uh, still still up to it. And uh, we're, we're giving it a go here. Uh, still, I guess. I don't know. Why not? I haven't won Powerball yet. So here we sit. Um, so I, I have a story here I want to talk about. This is pretty serious stuff, but... Um, this is going to sound like a repeat uh, from, geez, almost a year ago now, but it's a pretty heinous, pretty awful story. This is from Maryville, Missouri. And uh, there's a girl living there by the name of Daisy Coleman. Uh, in January 2012, she was a 14-year-old girl. She, uh, Her and her friend were drinking some alcohol one night. She decided to sneak out of her house, go to a party that was being attended by, among other people, some seniors. She was a freshman in high school, so she attended a party that was attended by, among other people, some high school seniors who uh, gave her some more alcohol. Um, Then she was dumped in front of her house, completely trashed. In fact, so much so that she was basically unconscious. 
Um, her mother found her early in the morning. Again, this is in January. So her hair had actually frozen. She had ice like in her hair. And um, her mom, of course, immediately brings her in the house, gives her a warm bath, tries to warm her up and discovers that she has marks all over her body, including on her genitals, which had indicated signs of forced sex or sexual assault. So she did what anybody would do. She called the police immediately. Uh, the police came out. And the good news is within about four hours, they had apprehended the boy who had allegedly committed sexual assault against her, who had raped her. I shouldn't even really say allegedly because the boy in this uh, a kid by the name of um, what's this kid? Uh, Matthew Barnett admitted to raping the, the then 14-year-old girl. Her name is Daisy Coleman. Now, normally, the names of rape victims are, are kept private, but she wanted her name released because she wanted everyone to know her story. So this kid, Matthew Barnett, rapes her, admits it to the police, and there was a second accomplice who recorded it on his iPhone named Jordan Zach. And... Um, so you think, well, this is a slam dunk case. You've got a girl that's been raped, a boy that admits it, and another person that recorded it on his iPhone. Seems simple enough. Well, by the time it got to the Mattaway, I think this is, no, not away, the Nottaway County prosecutor by the name of Robert Rice, by the time it got to his office, uh, suddenly the charges were dropped and the case was conveniently swept under the rug. The reason being that Matthew Barnett is the grandson of a prominent politician, a prominent state senator in Missouri. And so as a result, the charges mysteriously went away, despite the fact that he admitted to raping a 14-year-old girl, and despite the fact that there was video evidence that at least, at least partial video evidence that this act had occurred. And... There was bruising and marks consistent with rape. I mean, you had all the evidence perfectly lined up, and now the case apparently uh, is getting thrown out. So that was then, and that's been sort of the ongoing thing. Now, of course, this girl who's come forward, she's been brave enough to come forward and say what happened to her. And she wanted her name out there so everyone knows her story. This, These are her words. And... Um, the Kansas City Star picked up on this story. It's a town of 12,000 people. Oh, and did I mention that Matthew Barnett and this other kid, uh, what's his name? Jordan Zach. Jordan Zach. They're football players on the local high school football team. So not only are they senator, uh, uh, not only is one the grandson of a prominent senator, uh, they're also big time athletes in the high school and do you know how they're treated in these small towns in the south and in the midwest yeah they're pretty much they're pretty much gods there and they can do no wrong you know how that story goes doesn't this sound a lot like that case in Steubenville Ohio from what a year ago so this prosecutor that yeah the case is sort of dropped and um, then a lot of inconsistencies start to come up the sheriff admits that this happened. There's a police report that shows it. He tells CNN and the LA Times and anybody else that calls that, uh, oh yes, uh, the boy confessed, but 
Daisy Coleman and her mother are not cooperating, which is crap. But that's what the sheriff says. Of course, the Colemans refute this. But since it's a small town, these aren't the only consequences. It's a small town where the big time athletes raped someone. So, of course, you'd think the town is going to go after these, uh, these kids that raped the girl and run them out of town, right? Nope. The girl, Daisy, is bullied constantly at school. Um, people wear T-shirts that say things like Matthew 1, Daisy 0, among other things. It's just gotten worse and worse from there. Um, the mother of Daisy Coleman, she was, she was fired from her job because the employer cited that uh, the working conditions might be a little too volatile considering everything that's happened. Of course, they just, you know, the, some, some phone calls were probably made and she was thrown out of there. So they wanted to move away from this town. They put their house up for sale and then their house is burned down mysteriously. The Coleman's house gets burned down. Now, luckily, unlike Steubenville, which took a long time to get any media attention and only did when groups uh, like Anonymous got involved and, and finally brought a lot of people up there and therefore garnered media attention. This at least has been getting some coverage, like in the Kansas City Star, the LA Times, even CNN has been covering it. And another piece of good news, if you can find any in this story, is that um, the lieutenant governor of the state of Missouri, uh, what's this guy's name? I just had it here. Uh, Peter Kinder. And House Speaker Tim Jones are starting to, you know, well, they're getting impatient with this. And they've certainly been raising their voices with regard to criticizing the way this case has been prosecuted or not prosecuted. Kinder said in a statement that this will, quote, fester and taint the reputation of our state for delivering impartial justice to all. Kinder called on Attorney General Chris Coster and Prosecutor Rice to join him in asking for U.S. Uh, Circuit Court to convene a grand jury to review the case and determine whether criminal charges should be filed. Actually, the correct verbiage should be refiled because originally criminal charges were filed and then subsequently in a puff of smoke disappeared. Quote, the appealing facts in the public record shock the conscious and cry out that responsible authorities must take another look, he said. Jones, like Kinder, a Republican, want further, uh, went further and urged Coster to intervene. The attorney general's office has previously declined to do so, saying that it did not have the authority. You're the attorney general. You have the authority. Uh, well, I, I don't really have the authority. I am only the attorney general. I am only in charge of all prosecutorial or all, um, all matters of these types. But I really don't have, I really don't have the authority. Of course, last year, Steubenville, Ohio became the household name in the media um, after a, a very similar case occurred. A representative from Rice's office told the Los Angeles Times on Tuesday that the prosecutor was not giving interviews or making any comments about the case beyond a statement uh, sent to the media. 
The statement said that it had been determined that there was insufficient evidence to prove a case against the suspects beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I've, I've read some law books here and there. I, I, I've taken a law course once or twice, but I, I've, I will admit I'm not a, not a licensed attorney. But I think if you have video evidence, you have a confession. You have two confessions. You have a police officer. You have, you know, the, the statements by the boys involved and by everybody involved. You have the bruising. You have the marks. You have picture evidence and all that. I think you could probably get a jury to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that a rape occurred. Especially now that so much has been done to cover it up. I mean, there's just yet more evidence. Now, you might have to move the trial outside of Maryville, New, uh, Missouri, uh, because, well, good luck getting a fair trial there, apparently. Nevertheless, this is obviously something that, I mean, when you say we, didn't, we have insufficient evidence, what that really means is, um, no, we're on the side of uh, the rapist. We're in cahoots with, uh, we, we feel political pressure not to pursue charges. That's what it's about. The Coleman family has cooperated. They've been there. They have tried to do everything possible to push this case forward and get things moving. But uh, clearly, prosecutors don't want to do that. Unbelievable. Um, what else? Oh. Uh, in an interview with the uh, L.A. Times, Daisy's mother, Melinda Coleman, called both uh, officials' claims a total lie when talking about that, uh, you know, these officials keep saying, well, we're, we're trying to pursue charges, but there's no cooperation from the Colemans, which she says is a lie. And based on what I'm seeing, I believe that. So the activist group Anonymous is starting to get involved in this case now. Now, Anonymous got involved in, among other things, uh, the Steubenville, Ohio case last year. They sent uh, more than 3,000 people to Steubenville, got the attention of a lot of media, including CNN and Fox News and others, uh, local TV in Ohio that came and checked it out. And so they were getting a lot of attention, and they got a lot of attention not only from just Anonymous and, and other Twitter followers, but, I mean, it was trending on Twitter. And, uh, you know, a lot of people did a lot of work to try and get some justice brought in Steubenville. And by the way, we're successful in doing so because finally the attorney general of that state, oh, look at that. The attorney general was able to do something in Ohio. So why can't the attorney general do something in Missouri? Because they don't want to, apparently. Nevertheless, so the activist group, uh, uh, Anonymous has gotten involved. They're already tweeting about it, and I don't know for sure, but I would guess they're organizing something. And um, the sheriff here, the, he's blowing them off too. He says that Anonymous, uh, these are just kids that need to uh, get a life. He said, you know, uh, even their name, Anonymous, I'm trying to find his exact quote. Uh, but he said even the name Anonymous applies that they just hide behind their computers. 
He said, oh, here we go. This is this is the sheriff there in uh, Nottoway County. He says, uh, talking about Anonymous, quote, they are truly a bunch of cowards hiding behind even their name, Anonymous. What do you do with people like that, he said. They all need to get jobs and quit living with their parents. That's the quote that uh, this sheriff gave to the L.A. Times. Unbelievable. Anonymous is probably the last group you'd want to piss off. Because they have proven that if you try to shut their voices out, whether you believe, whether you think this is right or wrong, they'll, they'll first of all, they'll, they'll organize, they'll come to the town, they'll protest. And by the way, they protest peacefully. You know, they don't even engage in civil disobedience. They just go peacefully protest. They make their voices heard and they get things done. But sometimes some members will also shut down, let's say, a sheriff's department's website. That can happen. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, certain uh Facts about a sheriff or certain dirty laundry from someone's past is suddenly brought out. It suddenly comes to light, which is exactly what happened in Steubenville. A lot of dirt came out about a lot of people, including supposedly some um, provocative pictures of underage girls on a coach's uh, website that was, uh, you know, with those football players from Steubenville. Yeah, supposedly some uh, very interesting stuff came out of that. Now, some people got in trouble over that. Some people in Anonymous uh, certainly got in trouble. I'm not encouraging people to hack something or to take anything down. I don't want to see that. But at the same time, um, you know, when people see great injustice being committed and corruption, which is exactly what this is, when you have a case in front of you and you refuse to prosecute it, you know, that's a, uh, a terrible injustice. People start to take the law into their own hands. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm not going to say, but I'll say that it happens. And, you know, law, lawful or law-abiding people will show up, and perhaps maybe a few that aren't so law-abiding might do some things behind the scenes also. And eventually things get done. So maybe this sheriff ought to just get off his ass and stop talking about anonymous and stop, you know, getting on their ass and just do his job. That's what should probably happen. And again, this is another guy that doesn't get it either. He's like, well, these guys who are members of this anonymous, it's not a, it's not a club. Anonymous isn't a club. It's just an idea. It's like, um, it's like people who just think that you should have the right to free speech. That's not a club that you belong to. That's just believing in, a, in a, an idea, in a cause, in a purpose. You know, Anonymous isn't just a bunch of hackers that take down websites or that, you know, do things. Yeah, that's part of it. And there's certainly a, a part of it that I, I think a lot of people even that associate with Anonymous would say is wrong. You know, the, the part where, you know, stuff gets hacked. But... You know, things happen. So, there's that. <laughs> this sheriff, he's he 
better be careful before he bites off more than he can chew and he gets a bunch of protesters. Because Steubenville, if if they could get 3,000 people to show up in Steubenville, imagine, and this girl's name is out there. I mean, she's putting her name out there. She wants people to know her story. This is a person that's going to get a lot of sympathy. And I know I've already read a lot of the comments. And look, there are some pretty despicable people out there. I read some comments from people saying, well, uh, this girl, this Daisy, she shouldn't have been uh, drinking alcohol at the age of 14. I mean, what did she expect to have happen? You know, you're right. She shouldn't have been drinking alcohol. Fine. Okay. We can all agree that she, she should not have been drinking alcohol. No matter what she did, whether it's alcohol or cocaine or mushrooms or whatever she was up to, no one, no matter what they're up to, deserves to get raped. There is no justification for rape. You can say, well, she shouldn't have been doing this, that. Yeah, fine. But it's not linked to the fact that she got raped. It has nothing to do with it. And besides, you can say, well, she shouldn't have been doing this and she shouldn't have been doing that. Well, fine, all well and good, but it happened, okay? It happened and then she got raped. Two wrongs don't make a right. If you want to charge her for underage drinking, fine. But then you better be willing to step up and throw this kid in jail for a long time and make sure he's charged as an adult because he's a 17-year-old kid. And 17 in most states, especially when it's a crime like rape, you can be charged as an adult. And you'll be spending a long time in a nice jail. And you know, they treat rapists really well in jail. They really do. Rapists are just uh, held in the highest regard in prison. Oh, yeah. Nothing bad ever happens to them. No one ever gets uh, a toothbrush shank there. All right, I need something to transit. I want to take a break, but I'll just move on to something else. That's a serious story. Chew on that for a little bit. I'm not really sure how, but I'm going to try and lighten the mood a little bit because, well, as long as Florida is still a state in this union, we're always going to have some screwed up stories to talk about from there. You know, I've never been arrested in my life. All right, I have never been in trouble with the law. But I can imagine that it would be pretty embarrassing to be arrested. I would guess it would be way more embarrassing to be arrested twice in one day. And probably the trifecta of awful would be to get arrested twice in one day and both times at McDonald's. Which is exactly what happened to a 47-year-old Fort Walton, Florida man who was arrested twice on October 11th. It began when he allegedly assaulted a 36-year-old Manorville man at McDonald's on Flanders Road. Police said that the man punched, uh, that, uh, yeah, he he punched someone in his forehead about 9 a.m., causing contusions and an abrasion above the right eye and a laceration above the left eye that required four stitches. Uh, The man who's named, uh, I guess his name is Gilmore. That's what they're identifying him as. Gilmore was arrested and charged with third-degree assault, a misdemeanor, at 9.30 a.m. Police said that they advised him that uh, he was no longer allowed at McDonald's, but he went back there later that afternoon around 3 p.m. After he was released, he wanted to buy some food. You know, he's hungry. He's like, man, I've been dealing with this crap all morning. So, um, 
It didn't go well. He was arrested again. This time he was charged with third degree criminal trespass, also a misdemeanor. He's being held on $2,500 bail. Man, what the hell is going on in Florida? All right. Well, um, that certainly lightened the mood. Hey, listen, you can always laugh at someone else's misery, I guess. Uh, how do you get arrested twice in one day? It's got to be tough. I'm really shooting the moon on that one. All right. Um, well, let's take a break. And when we come back, I, I have some, some more stuff to get into a restaurant you'd probably never want to go to. Or maybe you would. Maybe you're one of those kind of quirky people or a foodie who likes uh, different kinds of places. This is, I don't know about the food, but the theme of the restaurant, I'll give it this much, it's unique. We'll talk about that. Um, I have some very um, strange, I would call it cringeworthy audio from the media I want to play coming up and... A bunch of other stuff, too. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. We'll be back. There aren't any words in a thesaurus or dictionary to describe how purely mediocre this show really is. Okay, can I get a translation? Because that was gibberish. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. October 17th, 2013. Like Show at gmail.com, the email address. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else Michael Groff related, yes, it's michaelgroff.com. That's where you make donations to this show because, because it's just the right thing to do, damn it. Um, what about me? a lot of stuff still to get to. I was just looking at the time. Man, it's been a long show already. What about me? What about you? What about I have some very cringeworthy audio, and no, it's not just another episode of my show. It's actually like this. When I hear this stuff, I have a hard time even listening to it because well, when I first found this, I couldn't even believe it was real. But uh, sure enough, this is, you know, um, it's that time of the year. Um, especially in smaller markets, especially in the South and in the Midwest, you know, high school football is going on right now. It's a big deal. People, I, I guess for whatever reason, people are really into it. Uh, Friday night lights or something like that. 
And even even here in Phoenix, I know at least one of the news channels does sort of a at the end of their newscast on Friday night, they they do the high school scores and stuff. In other parts of the country, again, especially in smaller markets, it's treated like a really big deal. So this comes from KTBS in Shreveport, Louisiana. There's a reporter by the name of Amy Vetrano who covers the high school football sports there. Well, covers them, and that's kind of... I don't know. I would put that in quotes, I guess. Uh, She's supposed to be covering these. Um, This should just tell you not only how bad news is in small markets, and it's been a long time since I've watched a newscast from a a small market, Um, but maybe I had to tune in because this is kind of comedy and kind of cringy. Anyway, they ask her about her report on the game, and, uh, and the audio sort of goes something... Like this. Amy looked like an impressive <laughs> night out there tonight. It really was there, Paul, and it started off really strong in the first quarter. The um, Ruston Bearcats were able to capitalize on three different turnovers to get an early 21-0 lead. But then as um, when I arrived uh, late in the second quarter, I didn't <laughs> see where I saw a, a kind of a tug of war back and forth on downs. Um, but- she arrived late. She She's admitting that Hey, you know, I, I got the uh, the game summary here, but when I arrived in the second quarter, late in the second quarter, I just saw sort of a tug of war on downs. She's having a hard time even getting it out. At least, I'll give her this much, plus one for honesty in saying that you showed up late to a BS high school football game that means nothing. I know that's sacrilege to say in some parts of the country. High school football is all we got down here. That's Louisiana. What else is there to do but watch the hurricanes come in? <laughs> She's like, listen, I had a date. I showed up late to this friggin' game. I, I, I don't understand football. I don't know anything about it. I don't really give a crap. Here's the summary. I sh- She's admitting I showed up late. How serious does she take her job? Anyway, let me continue with this. This <laughs> is... Small market TV at its finest. Between the teams going into the half and the, really the third quarter as well, that same thing between the Bearcats and the Chiefs. They were uh, passing the ball back and forth. I only saw that one field goal score, but as I was... Uh, <laughs> they, they were passing the ball back and forth. Uh, no, If they were passing the ball back and forth, that would be interception after interception. This is what happens. You know, a woman just out of college. She's clearly, she's very young. Clearly just out of college. She knows jack crap about football. And they put her on TV because she's a pretty face. But she's green, so they, they, they have her do the worst beat of all. And that is cover. They're like, all right, Amy, we want you to go out there and cover that high school football. Which I would think in that area would be the best. But I guess the news, you know, they're like, we'll just give it to the young chick, you know. It doesn't matter if she doesn't know anything about it. People will just stare at her and that'll be fine. I mean, that's the thinking in TV. I'm not, it's, this isn't me being misogynist. This is just, this is how TV thinks. We'll put the hot reporters out to do either the fluff pieces or in small markets, we'll have them cover the sports. So even if they're wrong about it, see, this is, this is exactly why the news business sucks. And in small markets, it's just awful. 
editing the highlights, I heard them score that last touchdown. Both coaches look forward Wait. into going well, into the Bearcats and the Chiefs. They were uh, passing the ball back and forth. I only saw that one field goal score, but as I was uh, uh, editing the highlights, I heard them score that last touchdown. Both as I was editing the highlights, I heard them score the last touchdown. This woman is obviously taking her job very seriously. I don't even know what to make of this. Either they're extremely understaffed and she has to edit her own highlights and she's doing it while she's still there. And she's like, look, I don't know. How can you edit highlights to a game that hasn't even concluded? I, I don't know. I'm confused by the whole thing. Anyway, she continues. Coaches look forward into going into their second week of district play next week. Here's what they said, told me. Here's what they said, told, told me. I don't know. Badly edited, badly filmed. I apologize for the bad audio. Obviously, someone just you know, put a camera up to the TV. But that um, that's from KTBS in Shreveport, Louisiana. So quality reporting there. Ugh, that's just bad. Now, from one piece of cringeworthy audio to another, from a small market to a big market, and from... One, from the woman that didn't really take her job all that seriously, or so it seemed, to people that take it far too seriously. We go to sports play-by-play. -play. Now, you know, I've talked about it before on the show. Number one, I don't understand why people put on the phony voices in radio. I don't know why they do it in sports play-by-play. Here's Gajalish. Adrian Gajalish steps up to the plate. Look at a one-two catch. And the pitch is swag out and hit it to center field. I mean, I don't know why people have to do it like that, why they're, the strange affect and all that BS. Um, football play-by-play -play can be equally as painful. In fact, can be a lot more so because what happens is you have the play-by-play -play guy who's usually just a seasoned broadcaster who is able to describe the plays with, um, you know, relatively shtick-free. I mean, some guys shtick it up a little bit. It's usually not too bad. There's a little bit of puke kid going on at a lot of... Uh, football, NFL play-by-play -play coverage. But it's usually not terrible. Usually you can bear it. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, the color analyst on the NFL broadcasts is just dreadful. Usually it's some former player, some meathead lineman or fullback or whatever who gets up there. And you know, listen, there are times where they're reasonably articulate. And then there are times where they're just... Well, it sounds like they took way too many blows to the head during their career. And it's just, it comes out, they sound like a freaking orc doing color analyst work up there. I mean, it's just, you see what happened? They did the Tampa 2 coverage right there. You bring the strong side safety through the A gap and you just sandwich him right there. Wow. And they say things that just don't make any sense whatsoever. It's it's meathead blather from the color. The color analyst, sometimes they add something. A lot of times it's just a lot of blah, blah. It's just stuff you don't really care about. And you're just hoping that they get to the next play very quickly. And um, I don't know what category this falls into. But this, if I was a New England Patriots fan and I had to listen to 98.5 The Sports Hub from Boston and I heard this play by play I can't even formulate a sentence I feel like one of those meatheads I can't even formulate a sentence to describe how bad this is 
Um, the color analyst on this clip is a guy by the name of Scott Zolak. Well, the Patriots had an exciting game over the weekend. Uh, a great come-from-behind win led by uh, Tom Brady, of course. Completes an unbelievable pass to Kembrel Tompkins. It's a game winner. It's, it's just amazing comeback by the Patriots. Whatever. That's great. And I don't even mind the home team announcers getting a little bit excited. But see if this just goes a little overboard. Brady's in the gun. Bolt into his left. He's got the who man on the right wing with Dobson to the right. Collie and Tompkins left. Brady throws it to the end zone for Kenbrell Tompkins. Leaping. He got it. Touchdown. Kenbrell Tompkins. Brady's back. That's your quarterback. Hold off the building. Unicorns. Show ponies. Where's the beef? What? Despair. Not 9 11, dude. In the league. This situation after situation he's been through. And to elevate a rookie. Wow. My God. So that happened. That's uh, the audio. For, again, 98.5, the Sports Hub, the play by play from the New England Patriots. That's what that sounded like. Okay, the screaming about a touchdown. All right, look, the home team announcers. I don't mind when the home team announcer gets a little excited. That's a little over the top. But unicorns and show ponies? What? Unicorns, show ponies. Where's the beef? The choice of a new generation. I mean, he was just shouting random things and then advertising slogans from 1981. Where's the... Yeah, why not? Coke is it. It's thirst aid for that deep down body thirst. Holy crap. Okay, well, that's... That's some good sports play-by-play. I guess people like that. I guess people like when an announcer just, just shouts random things for no reason at all. I mean, yes, I understand Brady scored a touchdown. What's he going to follow that up with next time? Just ra- more random stuff, random slogans. Maybe he'll just yell out a agency. American Cancer Society. What's going to, what's going on? What's with these, what's with these sports guys? Brady Shatter. Brady Oedelu Schnapp. Two wide receivers to the right, one to the left. They sh- they line up the eye formation. I would love that. I would just talk like that, just just to be a douche. Line up the offset eye, Brady. I would just I would just make up my own play as this happening. So regardless of what was actually happening on the field, I would just call my own play. I would just watch as the color analyst sitting next to me just looked at me stupid, and I would just be like. All right, uh, first play from scrimmage. 14 minutes, 48 seconds to go here in the first quarter. And it looks like the Patriots are going to be lining up for a field goal. It'll be about an 85-yard field goal attempt here. And Tab Brady is going to be kicking it. I just watch as people just drive off the road listening because they can't believe that this is what's happening. with I, It's retarded. I can't believe. They, they just sit there. As as the 
Bostonians, the New England area just goes crazy at the at the thought of uh, Tom Brady kicking a field goal. And uh, here's Tab Brady lighting up under center, the offset eye. And the pitch, 2-2 pitch out of the way. It's swung out and driven to center field, and it's a three-pointer. Just do that, just mix sports analogies all over the place. I would just do that. I know I wouldn't keep my job long, but boy, would that be, that'd be great. Just make up your own play. You don't like the way the game's going? Just make it up as it goes along. But yeah, the color analyst. And I know everybody loves John Madden for some reason because he, you know, he has the telestrator. And then this guy comes over and boom. I realize, you know, everybody likes that. But honestly, what do those guys generally contribute? Not a whole lot. I mean, the guys that haven't taken that many blows to the head and still have some of their college education in there, they still have some of that vocabulary stored up. Their lexicon is larger than 10 words. Uh, those guys are good. But, um, you know, normally it's the studio guys that are a little bit better. As long as it's not Chris Berman. Oh, my God. If Chris Berman, if I have to see Chris Berman doing yet another game or any more commentary, I avoid him at all costs. I try to avoid ESPN. I don't want to see him calling a baseball game. I don't want to see him calling a football game. I don't want to see him doing highlights. I don't want him to think that he's uh, that he's Howard Cosell trying to do he could go all the way. I don't want that. I don't want to see his sweaty, fat face on the TV. And the guy is just an ass, too. He's just terrible to the people that he works with. You know, I don't know how I managed to work in a Chris Berman rant into all of this. Not sure how that worked its way in here. Although, I guess we're talking about broadcasters that really contribute nothing. They bring nothing to the table. So, what do you know? That's one of the first names I thought of. All right. Um, something kind of serious, something kind of not. I don't know what category this goes into, except just to say, you know, we've been talking about the the government and are they watching? Are they paying attention? And you know that there was another Edward Snowden leak over the weekend. They talked about that the NSA gathers your contact lists from various messenger programs like Yahoo Messenger, um, uh, MSN, AOL Instant Messenger, all these others. And now they say that they get rid of the information, but they, they're gathering it just to find terrorists, of course, you know, the latest boogeyman. They're going after terrorists and drug cartels. That's what they say. Because, you know, we're still in that war on drugs that that's just going swimmingly, by the way. Well, on the heels of that news, then I found this today. The federal government is also studying how to use social media, specifically Twitter, for surveillance on depressed people. The University of California, San Diego, began a study financed by the National Institutes of Health last month that will provide, quote, population-level depression monitoring through the social media site. The project, utilizing social media as a resource for mental health surveillance, is costing the taxpayers $82,800. While Twitter has been used by other government agencies, such as the Secret Service and the Department of Homeland Security for national security-related monitoring, you know, like they'll monitor for specific keywords and then you might get a knock on the door from some men in suits 
uh, asking if you did indeed threaten the life of a congressman um, on your Twitter page. People say that that never happens. It, it does. But now the National Institutes of Health are using Twitter to monitor mental health as well. Quote, major depressive disorder is one of the most common debilitating illnesses in the United States with a lifetime prevalence of 16.2%, the project grant states. Quote, currently nationwide mental health surveillance takes the form of large-scale telephone-based surveys. What do they call you up? Hello, Mr. Johnson. I was wondering how you're feeling today. Would you consider yourself depressed? No. Oh, well, thank you for your time then. Uh, if you would have said yes, we would have sent some guys in some uh, coats over to your place. But you're not depressed, so it's okay. Like, seriously, how does that work? Oh, well, we could tell from the phone survey and the way they answer the questions. I mean, unless the person answers the phone crying or sounds completely depressed, like they answer. Well, I mean, if they answer a phone like I do, maybe they'd be able to, you know, I, I usually answer with like, what? What do you want? Stop. That's just how I answer to bill collectors, actually. The funny thing is, it never really works. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is uh, their, their latest idea now. They're going to monitor Twitter. Have you seen what most people put on their Twitters? On their, on their you know, seen what most people tweet? Uh, you have to understand that, generally speaking, if you start monitoring people's Twitter account to see if they're depressed, 90% of the accounts are going to get flagged as, oh my God, this person may kill themselves at any moment. Especially if you start monitoring the average teenager's Twitter account. Give me a break. We're going to start monitoring Twitter. What's next? We're going to monitor Facebook also? Better not, because then you'll start locking up people. The Homeland Security will be very interested in that. If you see half of the crap that people post on Facebook, the political garbage, the nonsense that people put on Facebook, and I'm not talking about legitimate uh, discussion. I'm talking about... Some of the nonsense that people put up there, that's like a chain email that they received about how the president is a, is a Muslim. You know what the latest one is? The latest one, I guess there's some flack about the, the Muslim stamp. Yeah, there's a stamp or something that has to do with uh, Muslims. I don't, I don't even know. Uh, it's just... And people... If, if you treat that post seriously and you go, I'm boycotting this stamp because it shows that the this just reaffirms that this president is a Muslim. If you take that seriously and you don't write a post that says, what the F is the matter with you in that form or another, then I don't know what to do with you. Because I can't believe that people take half the crap they do seriously. So if we start monitoring Twitter and start looking for people's depression based on what they tweet. I mean, look, we have 8% unemployment. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if someone is unemployed and they write something bad on their Twitter, it's probably a reflection of the fact that they're still pissed off that they lost their job. Or they're, they're depressed because they lost their job. Because, you know, people get upset when bad things happen. We're going to monitor their Twitter. Okay, you do that. All right, meanwhile, from uh, Washington State. Yeah, by the way, that's a real thing, incidentally. People, not only are they monitoring, uh, not just talking about the monitoring of Twitter, 
But I guess there's a, an actual movement afoot for people to boycott a stamp that's coming out. You know what you should be boycotting or you should be upset about is the fact that the post office is again going to raise the price of a stamp by two cents. They just keep raising it. And people, people never get infuriated about that or boycott or, or yell about that. They only care about what is on the stamp itself. They don't care how much they're paying for it. Uh, whatever. <laughs> people, people have the very strangest causes I've ever heard. We're upset because it shows this president's a Muslim. Oh, okay. So what if he is? You know, criticize him because he's a terrible president. That's fine. He is. He's a, he's a disaster of a president. But who cares what his religion is? Why is that a big deal? You realize whenever you criticize the president for his religion, do you know what that does? All it does is, it first of all, it makes you and the party that you represent, which is usually, unfortunately, the Republicans or the Tea Party or the Libertarians, it makes you look like petty idiots, makes you look like bigots, and uh, it, it detracts from the message, which should be that this is a terrible president. But no, you're like, well... We, we don't care about that. We care that he's a Muslim. We care that he's Islamic. Ugh. I don't know. And you wonder why I try to avoid Facebook. Like, there are good discussions to be had with people. And I, I, I do like to know people's beliefs. And, and I, I want to hear what people have to say. That's why I have my email and my Twitter and all that stuff. But... The problem is, is when you start letting that stuff in, then you have to worry about the chain mails, you know, the, the, the spam, the, did you know that the president, uh, that we, the, the birthers, the truthers, oh, the 9-11 crap gets put in there. That's the problem. For every legitimate discussion there can be had, there's always somebody who's going to come in almost like a troll and they're just going to throw out. Oh, by the way, uh, we're still, we have more evidence that 9-11's an inside job. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the problem. That's what chases me off of that crap. Ugh. And I know now that I brought that up, I guarantee you somebody is going to email me or write to me or somebody's going to send me a message going, well, you know, Mike, uh, there's, there's some good evidence there. I think you, you can't just dismiss that. You can't just dismiss... Uh, that, um, you know, the, well, who do they always cite? I don't even know. The Freemasons or, uh, I, I don't know, the proletariat. I, I don't know who they, <laughs> yeah, it's always like the Freemason, the Trilateral Commission, that's another one. You can't dismiss the fact that the Trilateral Commission has its hands in everything. And there's some very powerful people that wanted to get us into Iraq and Afghanistan like, I understand why, I don't know, their their connections never really make sense. All right, um, moving on to something much better, and that's, let's talk about weed. Uh, the state of Washington wants to be the second U.S. state to adopt rules for the recreational sale of marijuana. As you know, Washington and Colorado last year both legalized marijuana, at least possession of marijuana, up to one ounce. But now the state of Washington wants to have a network 
of vendors and sales of marijuana. They're trying to set all that up. Quote, we feel very proud of what we're doing, said Sharon Foster, who's the chairwoman of the Washington Liquor uh, Control Board. Um, she said that her and her two colleagues have approved of the rules. She says, we're making history. So they're going to have uh, state-licensed distributors, processors, and growers of marijuana. Uh, the Liquor Board devised the rules after nearly a year of research, debate, and planning, including public hearings that drew thousands of people from across the state. The rules cover everything from uh, security and uh, at and the size of the licensed marijuana gardens to how many pot stores can be open in various cities across the state and zoning and all these other things that they're working out. So they're making a lot more progress on this. This is great. And I'll say this. I, I do hope, as this woman hopes, this uh, uh, chairwoman uh, hopes that this is the template that other states use when they eventually legalize marijuana. And that's very optimistic, but I, I do think that it is only a matter of time before at least, I don't know, about half the country probably will eventually have marijuana legalized. It, it's, it just makes sense. It's time that we got rid of this ridiculous war on drugs. It's time that we have a reasonable distribution network for sales and growing and processing of marijuana. I mean, it's just, it's time. And um, whether people out there like it or not, this is just, this is the way the future is going. And uh, I'm finally happy to see that they're making progress on this. You know, people said this would never happen. And well, and you know what? I used to be one of those guys, by the way. I used to say, I'm all for the use of marijuana and whatnot, if you want to do that, but a state's never going to legalize it. And two of them did at the same time. So we've all eaten a little crow on this, but I, I really hope that uh, they continue to make progress on this. Meanwhile, I don't know. Um, I understand marketing to some degree and I understand that in these economic times you need to have some sort of niche to get people to your business and a restaurant in LA has taken it a step further uh, there is a restaurant that is a toilet themed restaurant this is apparently something that's been very successful in Taiwan and that one of these restaurant managers decided that they're going to bring the concept over here to the States. They're going to open one up in L.A. The seats in this restaurant are actually a toilet. Not like one that you can actually take a, a dump. That would be that'd be great. Like you just somebody's just sitting there at a table next to you and they're sitting in their toilet. You know, some old senile guy and he just takes a big dump right there. But nevertheless, the seats are shaped and look like a toilet. The food is served in miniature toilets and plates that are shaped like urinals. The menu items are all, you know, suggesting potty-themed choices. Uh, KCAL's Andrea Fulgi talked to the uh, eateries manager 
and eager patrons about the uh, intriguing idea. Quote, they came here, they say, wow, a toilet. You can sit on a toilet, says Jin Han, who's the manager. The Magic Restroom Cafe doesn't officially open until Friday. Um, but there's already plenty of anxious customers. Quote, I thought it was a little odd, says Marcy Workham, visiting from Florida. Quote, I think it's kind of a cool gimmick to get people to come in. Fuji asked L.A. resident Diana Shih, S-H-I-H, uh, if the idea of the toilet restaurant grossed her out. Quote, actually, not really. I just thought it was a cool idea, she said. Customers will be encouraged, according to the manager, uh, of making their experience their own, whatever that means. I don't know. Some customers will open the toilet and sit like this, and sometimes they ask, where's the restroom? And I will say, you can go here. I hope that's not for real, by the way. Because I, I made a smart-ass comment. Is that for real? Like, you can actually just take a, take a, a dump right there? Or pee right there? No, obviously not. All sorts of health code violations and just... Uh, listen, I consider myself something of a foodie. I know a lot of other people that are also foodies and they like to try out new places. But I do think that there's probably a line that people would set someplace. And I think a toilet-themed restaurant probably would be at the Magic Restroom Cafe, though, opening tomorrow in L.A., so if that's something you want to check out, if that's high on your priority list, uh, then by all means, knock yourself out. This has got to be weird. I just don't think I could handle it. Uh, eating off of something, uh, off of a urinal-shaped plate, I don't, I don't know. And you know that if they serve alcohol, there's some drunk dude is just, he's, he's going to just let it go in one of those toilets or on one of those plates. This just has, in LA of all places, this just has the makings of disaster. I don't think, I don't think I'd want to check this out. All right. Well, that's it. Um, groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. It's groffshow at gmail.com. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else Michael Groff related, it is the one and only michaelgroff.com. Check it out. Go over there. Um, you can check out our previous episodes of this podcast at least going back a couple of years you can donate to this program yes donations always accepted and encouraged so please go ahead and do that all of that and more I, my my twitter used to show up on the website for some reason it's not right now i don't know why i'm trying to fix that but we'll see uh anyway all of that and more at the one and only michaelgraf.com. Plus, you know, I do write a blog up there. I'm pretty sure nobody reads it. Like, I could put in a code. I could put in, like, a, if you respond to this with a certain word, you'll win a million dollars. I don't know. But I do write a blog up there as well. So check that out. 
All of that and more can be done at the one and only michaelgraff.com. All right, thank you so much for listening. Sure to appreciate it. See you next time. Good night, everybody. Everybody.